0: It's April 10th, 2023. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 254 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, from Canada. Salam d'ustan aziz. turut b'ashama. Hope you're doing well wherever you're tuning in from around the world. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Happy Easter to those of you who celebrate and have seen the bunny or the eggs or Whatever it is you do. Happy crazy episode of Succession last night for those who are obsessed with that series like I am and who watch. And um, happy warmer weather here in Toronto for those who are tired of heavy coats. Spring does seem to be here. And of course, there is a lot on the agenda for Iranians around the world, um, both good and not so happy. Um, We're going to get to some of that today. Today, a special guest Joining me from Sweden, a woman who left Iran as a kid and now, despite still only being in her 30s, has been a member of Swedish parliament for over 12 years, a dynamic and popular politician named Ozade Rogen. This is part of a new series on Mondays of programming that features one big interview here on Rook. On Thursdays, it's our regular show with the opening essay, Pega, and others joining me for the roundup and two or more interviewees. But on this day... This focuses on one person in the rook seat, even if the seat is in Stockholm today, and we will get to her in a moment. I should mention that if you want to watch this interview, if you're listening on um, one of our podcast platforms and you want to actually see this, you can go to YouTube where the video of this conversation we're about to have will be up in its entirety. Uh, We'll also put it on Instagram uh, in parts, so... Uh, Check those platforms out if you want to watch what you're hearing. If you want to listen, of course, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, which is where you may be already right now. And if you like your Rook bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. We hope you subscribe on any or all of those platforms. Now... All Things Rook can be found at rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com, R-O-Q-E, media.com. If you're not listening from our website, you can be doing that. And that is where you can support us. Now, we've got this new Rook Members page, a Patreon page. So you just go to the front page of rookmedia.com and press support us. And if you are a Patreon member... Uh, you get some special advantages like uh, an invite to a live event where we have coming up soon. You would have seen Oogie's Kubide video, my French bulldog, and, <laughs> and his crazy kubi video from last week uh, on his birthday. Um, you can sign up to any level, bronze, silver, or gold, or just make a one-time donation uh, at that support us button at our Patreon page. I want to thank El Hom Romechi. Elham Rameshi. Does that sound right, Raham? Ram Rameshi? Rameshi. Rameshi. Elham Rameshi, who is one of our new Patreon members at the bronze level. Thank you, Elham. We appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who are becoming Patreon members. It really helps us out. Okay. When we talk about successful Iranians around the world, we usually are referencing doctors or business people or. Say, tech innovators, but there is a growing cohort of prominent young politicians of Iranian background who are increasingly populating parliaments across the globe. My first feature guest today is an Iranian-born Swedish politician and a member of the Swedish parliament. Azadeh Rojan moved to Sweden with her family when she was five years old. She became interested in politics as a teenager and joined the Social Democratic Party around the age of 17. She was first elected as a member of parliament in Stockholm in 2014. Azadeh has been outspoken about Iran issues, particularly since the uprising of Bloody November, Aban, And during the recent uprising, she's been working diligently to echo the voices inside Iran in the Western world. She was actually in Toronto for that big conference and program that took place here a couple of weeks ago called For Iran. And right now, Azadeh Rojan joins me from Stockholm, Sweden. Hello.
1: Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Very nice to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. I wish we could have done it in Toronto, but you were too busy. You were too busy for us. Now that you're back in Stockholm, you have some time.
1: Yeah, unfortunately I couldn't when I was there, but now we had the time. So happy to be here and thank you for inviting me.
0: Speaking of you being here in Toronto, you were here for this giant concert or rally, I suppose, uh, where there were a lot of Persian pop stars performing, but it also felt like some of the, of the real rock stars in the room were the politicians of Iranian background from around the world that got quite a reception all weekend. How did it feel to get that kind of response in Canada?
1: Very unusual, actually, because usually we are politicians representing our own countries i mean i'm a politician from sweden i'm usually representing sweden but when i was in toronto it was like we are iranian politicians the, our iranian heritage became much more um uh, yeah it was more it was more focused on our iranian heritage so that was a very new uh, experience And a very special one, actually.
0: But you you are quite Iranian. I mean, is is that new for you to feel like you're representing, you're repping the Iranian heritage?
1: Yeah, I'm quite Iranian, actually. I speak Farsi, and um, yeah, I I am. Uh, But at the same time, I'm also very, very Swedish. So I'm a real mix of the two cultures. Uh, And I'm very proud of that, actually. I love the Swedish culture. I think it has some some parts of it is like, I hope more countries could have those features, those cultural features that we have in Sweden. So, but yeah, it, it was a very strange experience in many ways, uh, but also uh, it gave me hope. Uh, so I, I left Toronto feeling a little bit more hopeful and uh, I saw the... I saw how so many people really uh, believes in another Iran and how they want to work for that. But maybe we haven't found the, the correct ways yet. So we, we need to explore how we can do that more and have more possibilities to meet each other and discuss those issues. But I felt a little bit more hopeful when
0: I left. Just on the issue of, I mean, I'm going to ask you about identity more uh, a little later, but but just on the issue of you being here in Toronto and the weird juxtaposition of you being treated like you're an Iranian representative. Now, the more I think about it, I mean, there was this moment where you were in that conference or press conference or whatever it was, that meeting, where there were... Opposition leaders, you know Masi Ali Najad, Hamid Esmaeel, and Reza Pahlavi, etc., and then a few of you guys. You were there up on the 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 platform as well, but you're actually not a politician representing Iran. You're a politician representing Sweden. So it it, yeah. it it is a strange juxtaposition. Did did you have moments in the weekend where you had to explain that to people, why they would say you'd be asking you about the I don't know the Iranian economy or something, and you'd kind of go, well, actually, I'm I'm you know my thing. Is is Stockholm?
1: No, not maybe in that way, but maybe in the way that when I mean, there was some part of the discussions that we had in the different panels, and also some some questions raised from uh, uh, from the public uh, were uh, present. I mean, sometimes when I heard those questions, there was sometimes when I felt like, well, do we really know who 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 is answering these questions and i mean we are politicians from european countries because there were my colleagues from germany we have some colleagues from canada and also like have we decided if we are leaders in this mm-hmm. matter uh, have we decided that or are we just spokespersons i mean there there is a difference and sometimes it was a little bit difficult to find out what do you what do you and con- i don't know
0: what do you consider yourself in this spokesperson, scenario,
1: of course, spokesperson, I haven't lived in Iran for, oh, my God, so many years, 30 years, more 32 years. I, I can't be a leader for the Iranian people. How could I? I haven't, I haven't experienced all the things that they have experienced. Uh, I'm not in the front line fighting for for another future. I, I'm not doing that. Mm. So it would be wrong saying that I'm a leader i'm a spokesperson uh, i am using my platform to to raise the iranian people's voice outside of iran i'm using the tools that i have to to help the revolution yeah
0: when we talk about how irani you are i mean you left as you say when you were five years old 32 years ago what what do you remember about it What's the, if I say, what was Iran like? What do you, how do you answer that? I mean, you you were born, by the way, in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war. So you're born exactly. at kind of an interesting time. What What is your recollection of Iran?
1: I mean, I remember everything. Usually people forget those things, but I, I, I in some ways, those memories have been so important to me. So I I really try to. Uh, take care of them. So I remember everything. I sometimes even remember smells. I, I mean, uh, wh- I remember like how how it could smell when I walked in a store into a store uh, with my mother shopping. Uh, I remember sounds. Uh, I have very clear memories of my home, my family, uh, those I, I, don't, I haven't met uh, uh, since I left. Um, I, I have very clear memory from those days.
0: I mean, a little kid doesn't isn't always aware of the geopolitical realities or human rights or, or whatever is going on. Was it generally a positive experience for you? Were you confused about why why we're leaving Iran when you were five years old?
1: Yeah, I was confused why we were leaving, but I don't think, uh, but, but I, I wasn't confused about there's something something is wrong. I could feel that because mm. I don't remember those years being cheerful. I don't remember them like that. So I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't know what. Um, so, but I could sense it. So, yeah.
0: Why did your family choose to leave when you were in the early 1990s?
1: I mean, my father decided very, very early after the revolution that he wouldn't, he didn't want to be 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 in Iran. He wanted to leave Iran. So when he met my mother, that was one of the first things that he told her that I'm not going to stay. I can't bear living in this country. Uh, uh, So he decided very early, and when they had me, a girl, he was even more convinced that Mm. we need to leave.
0: Was your father political? Was he? I mean, are you following in his his footsteps as a politician?
1: Well, he was. He wasn't uh, engaged in maybe the way that I am. But he was political. He had a lot of... He was uh, very much into uh, journalism. He, he liked that. So, he, he, one of his biggest wishes was to be a journalist in Iran. Uh, he didn't follow that dream, unfortunately, for obvious reasons. But, I mean, as long as I can remember, we have uh, talked politics at home in different ways. So it was a. It has been a very natural part of my my gro- me growing up, talking about society, politics, stuff like that.
0: What What's it like for you, Azadeh, when you you're five years old? You're suddenly transplanted to Sweden. How would you describe growing up in Scandinavia as an Iranian kid?
1: Well, the first years were very very difficult. I mean. Uh, it depends on who you ask. Many many of my friends or people that I know, they don't remember the first years as I do. I do remember everything. That's, that's a problem, actually, because I remember how difficult it was. I, I remember how my parents really, really struggled in the beginning. Uh, but we, what, what were they I struggling mean, with? Learning the language. Uh, adjusting to the new society, the new rules. Uh, I mean, when you leave, you leave such a huge part of yourself, and you come to a completely new country with new, new rules, a new way of thinking, people who maybe don't want you there, and you have to deal with all those things at the same time, all emotions, all thoughts. Uh, And at at the same time, taking care of children, at the same time, trying to adjust yourself to the news. It's so many things going on. I mean, uh, sometimes when I think about all difficulties that we have in in life, and I try to compare it with what they went through, it's like, come on, they did such a big uh, Mm -hmm. sacrifice, and I can't even imagine all the emotional and psychological troubles that they had to go through and changes to adjust and to Become a part of this society.
0: I feel the same way. I have my yeah. dad's name tattooed on my arm, his signature, and one of the reasons is I, because, and he left, you know, years before your parents did, it, and it was such a pioneering thing to do to pick up and go to a, a new place. I don't know that I would have the strength to do it. I mean, I think no. uh, it's still hard to immigrate, but today you can at least go somewhere and and get on WhatsApp with your friends or check Facebook and see who's exactly. in town. Or I mean, at that point, you know, even in the early 90s, none of that existed, right? So you're really no. transplanting yourself to somewhere where you have no ability to... There's no There's no uh, support system around you necessarily, unless you have family there or something.
1: Exactly. And I think also that you arrive with such an ideas about what you want to do and all this hope that you have, and then maybe none of them is available it's it becomes very clear that oh my god this is i can't do this it's it would be it's too difficult or the challenges are too many so all that all, i mean it must be very it, i can only imagine how difficult it has it must have been. but i mean if if you look at the iranian diaspora or if you look at any diaspora actually in sweden it's just a few diasporas in sweden that maybe hasn't been integrated in the the same degree that other diasporas have, but my generation, those who came in the 80s and in the early 90s, uh, the system in Sweden has made it possible for the children of those immigrants to really become a part of this society Mm. and actually climb in every part of the society.
0: And was that the case for you? What was the hardest part of the adjustment for you?
1: I wouldn't say I had any problems or any any hardship with the adjusting. I mean, well, you
0: said the first few years were hard.
1: It wasn't because of the society, actually not. When I think back uh, to my first contact with my school, with my because when I came I was 5 years old. So I went to preschool like maybe 6 months and then I uh, went to school. The, I only have beautiful memories from my teachers doing their best to mm. make us feel at home, to make us feel a part of the school system, uh, to learn Swedish, to learn about the Swedish traditions. I have wonderful memories from that. That was not the hard part. The hard part was in the private part. I mean, with my parents, with their struggle, mm. uh, becoming a part of the society, because I become became a part of the society very, very fast, mm. as did all my, my um, friends who came at the same age. So it's two different parts. The struggle yeah, was more private. Uh, the other one, adjusting to the society, it, it was so easy through the school system because they really knew how to how to do that, how to make that possible for us. Uh, do you know what? When when we came to Sweden, there was actually uh, a very interesting system for for how to integrate uh, people. Uh, you you were assigned a Swedish family hmm. who would take care of you uh, and who would learn you about the traditions.
0: You mean even though you had your family, you would have a second family?
1: No, the whole family.
0: Oh, the whole family were, would have a family.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we had a <laughs> wow. Swedish family who took care of us. So they could they could like learn us learn, uh, us about the holidays so we could celebrate some of the holidays with them just to learn about them. They could take us to new places wow. so that we could yeah, yeah, but that system unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. Ah. But before, but but when we arrived, that system was still in place, so we were in contact with them for many many years after that.
0: Were you always as a confident kid?
1: Yes, I had to be.
0: Why, why did you have to be?
1: Well, I was the I was uh, the first child and I came to Sweden with my mother alone. My father arrived a little bit later, later and I learned the language very fast, so...
0: Well, one of the reasons I ask is because uh, it occurs to me that you certainly need a, d- a degree of confidence to become a politician. You know, you have to at some point be putting yourself out there. You're basically auditioning. People are literally voting on whether they like you enough or or not in order for you to get elected. Um, and... One reason it's surprising to me that you wanted to go into politics is that, or impressive perhaps, is that you didn't have a lot of role models outside of Iran. That is, there haven't been a lot of Iranian-born female politicians in the diaspora until recently. How did you believe uh, you were cut out for the world of organized politics, that you could even do that?
1: Oh my God, there are so many answers to that question. So first of all, uh, the Swedish political system, it's more focused on the party and not on the uh, individual. So you have that—that that is a big difference from like the American system or the British system. Uh, so people vote for the party, not necessarily for the individual, but they do that also. Meaning
0: you have a, a built-in support group. You have the cushion of the party rather than putting yourself out there in a more individual way.
1: So first, you have to put yourself out there for the party. So it's actually the hardest part um, to be elected from your party saying that we believe in you, we want you to represent us. The second part is that your party needs to get um, enough votes so that you can have enough seats in the parliament and then become a representative Mm. for that party in the parliament. That's one part of it. Uh, The second part is that i joined the youth league so every political party in sweden in europe has a youth league and you can become a member of the youth league from the age of 13. Uh, and i did have role models and my biggest role model was ardalan shakarabi who was the head of the youth league of the social democratic party but i didn't choose the social democratic party because of him i knew about the different ideologies i knew what I had, what my view was, but he being the head of the Youth League of the Social Democratic Party was also very important for me because I saw so, I had a role model in him. And
0: let me just ask you about, uh, just ideologically, from what I understand uh, about the, the political parties in Sweden, the Social Democrats uh, are center-left or sort of left. You're not the, the furthest left-wing party, but you are the sort of center-left party and then there's a, There's a couple other centrist parties and then there's right-wing parties, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. So, and we have, I mean, the Social Democratic Party in Sweden is very unique because we have been ruling in this country for almost 100 years, give or take. Uh, So the Social Democratic Party has built the welfare system in Sweden. And I I, I was uh, 17 years old. Uh, I was going to... uh, enter university. And I had always been very active in matters of school. I've been active in school. I had had different kind of... um, It's it's high school, right? It's high school. Well, uh, yes.
0: At the end of high school,
1: yes. The end of high school. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I was very much active in high school. I had many different roles there about how to uh, try to make changes within the high school and stuff like that. So when I was leaving high school, I was looking for another way to to um, be able to. Uh, achieve change in different matters and the school system and the educational system was very important to me. So I started to study about which party was more representative for my ideas. And I knew that I was social democrat because I really believe in the welfare system in Sweden. I know that it's only because of the welfare system that I could become whatever I wanted. Yeah, There were no obstacles for me to become whatever I wanted or any other immigrant child growing up in Sweden, or, or any Swedes for for that matter. Uh, the welfare system made it possible for anyone, regardless their background, regardless the economy of the family, to become whatever they want.
0: And by the way, growing up as a... As a liberal or sort of lefting left wing kid, you know, for me it was always in Canada. Sweden was always the golden example, right? That's the it's the shorthand. Well, what about Sweden? You know, would be the answer to 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 everything. But I I have to say because I think that this is where you were going with what you were saying. I, from what I understand, you don't have a university degree, right? You didn't end up going to university, no. and I and I love that, and I'll tell you why I love that because I I do believe that not everyone needs to go to university to become their best self you know it's it, it i i profoundly believe in post secondary education and i even believe in you know arts degrees like people should just go and read and learn and whatever, yeah, literature et cetera. Sure. but but it but it, it isn't doesn't have to be for everyone and particularly you know, in the Iranian community, there is such a an emphasis on being and, and not just getting a university degree, but a certain kind of university degree, which really counts. I mean, I did political science and history, which is like basically bullshit to Iranians. What is that? What are you going, going doing that for? So w- it's interesting, given the pressures on Iranian kids growing up in the diaspora, and also because you're very clearly well-spoken and smart, that you didn't get a university degree. Did you not face any parental pressure to, to go to university, and how did you defend yourself?
1: Oh, my God. Well, I, I did study at the universities, but I never finished my studies because the thing was that, first of all, my father still says that you need to get your degree. Come on. And I was like, yeah, but I'm a member of the parliament. I can do that later on. I don't have time for that. But he, he's still very upset that I don't have a degree. Oh, he is. Uh, yeah, of course.
0: Your success hasn't changed that. They still...
1: No, he, I mean, before every election, when I don't know if I will be elected or not, he's like, it's all right, you can go back to university <laughs> and take it. It's like, come right. on. So, yeah, but I did study. So I studied Middle Eastern studies and political science. But I really want to amplify what you said because I don't think that universities necessarily means that you are educated and in the Swedish political system, anyone Anyone, regardless uh, level of studies or background, can become a member of parliament. So we have people who never studied after after ninety. 90- Grade. Sorry,
0: isn't that the case with any country? I mean, I think anybody can become a politician in Canada, too. I don't think you need to have a exactly. university. Exactly,
1: you can. But, but unfortunately, it, it depends on the culture. It depends on mm. uh, on how how that is looked upon. I don't know how the culture is in, in Canada. Of course you can. But usually, people maybe don't accept that. Sure. But in Sweden, it's very. Yeah. It's, it's not something strange. It's not something that uh-huh. people talk about. It's like, okay. And, and also, it is i mean it's so accepted that when they do the list when they do the list for 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 the parliament or for the local parliament uh, they usually try to have people who are educated and people who are Mm. not educated so that everyone who that so that the whole society is represented you know so they that, that is actually a part of it, that you have to have people from all kinds of backgrounds.
0: Has a political opponent ever used it against you? Like, say, in a, in no, a campaign? No, but that said, would be strange. Well, it would be strange, would be but I'm, st- I'm curious. I oh, mean, you oh know, my God. if politics are as nasty no, as no. they are here, somebody would say, well, she doesn't have a degree, uh, you know, or.
1: Okay, let me put it this way if they would do that, that would be so strange. Do you know why? Because regardless, whoever has governed Sweden, Regardless, political party, color, anything. Sweden has the most, okay, let's see if I use the right right word now. Hmm. Illiterate?
0: Well, illiterate, uh, that's not the right word. Illiterate means- Okay,
1: okay, so uh non-educated?
0: Well, no, that doesn't sound right either. But um, they haven't completed their official uh, education. uh, That's what you mean, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. So the the former prime minister of Sweden, uh, no, the not the former, the one before, uh, hadn't even studied after the grade of the ninth grade. Mm. So it's not. I mean, regardless color. So our ministers, it, it's not. A, it's not something that it's needed because when it comes to the political work, when it comes to the political knowledge, that is something that you gain through your political party mm. i would say that my political party has been a better university for me than than any university in the world because i have learned everything through through the youth league first and then through the party
0: how much of us how much of a slave do you have to be to your political party's ideology i mean are you can you uh, step out of line as a politician or do you have to kind of vote in line with the party all the time
1: when it comes to voting, I can't step out of the line. uh, Because, I mean, since the political system is uh, uh, the way it is, and the political party is so strong, if you step outside the line, when it comes to what your your party has decided, then you are being non-democratic towards all the members of the political party who has decided that this is our line. So first you have to have a respect for for what you have decided within your party and and stick to that. Even though it's not in your um, interest, Mm. you still have to respect that because it's been democratically decided. So I can't step out of the line and vote against my own party in any matters, even though I don't agree on it. But in the debates, in the discussions within the party, And uh, when it comes to, I mean, just the Iranian matter. I've been working against my party for many years, since 2009, actually. I've been saying that uh, my party needs to change its mind when it comes to its Iran policies.
0: Interesting. Let me come come to that. Let me just ask you about, you know, it sounds like now that you're describing what it's like in Sweden, I I sort of understand the, the answer to this next question. But you were first elected in 2014. Uh, to the Swedish parliament. I mean, you're 28 years old. That's pretty young for for a politician in any country. Um was that did that feel young to you and what were the biggest challenges you faced as this uh, Iranian and Swedish Swedish 20 something that suddenly gets elected to parliament? I would say
1: the age wasn't a problem. I think the I I mean, since I had been a member of the Youth League for already 10 years, then I was a part of the political system. I knew everything. It wasn't it wasn't difficult in that way. And also there there was there were a lot of people, a lot of young people being elected at the same time as me, especially from my own party, because my party had decided that 30 percent of all the representatives on different lists had to be under the age of 35. Wow. So that we could have more young Diversity. representative in our different. Yeah. So there were a lot of young people being elected at the same time as I was. And also look at I mean, if you look at our ministers now, we have very young ministers also, one of the youngest minister ever is actually a Iranian uh, uh, woman named uh, Rubinapur Mukhtari. She's a minister of environment. Uh, it's amazing, actually. And how old is she? Even though I don't agree with her politically, I, I'm very I'm very proud of her. How old is she? Oh, my God. Don't ask me. She's like 26, I think, <laughs> or something like that. Right. 27. So she's very
0: young. Right, right. That, uh, she's surpassed yeah, but, you. And she probably has a university degree. Ask, tell your father about her. Or maybe yeah, not. you
1: should do that, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was really helpful, getting sort of a background on you. I want to segue into asking you about being Iranian and then the Iran issues which you just alluded to and how you you deal with them in the in the Swedish parliament. Um, first of all just as a general question how do you describe the Iranian community in Sweden? I was in Stockholm I guess about a year and a half ago and I know there's a fertile Persian community there. How do you describe it?
1: Is it? I would say that the Iranian diaspora in Sweden is actually the the diaspora that is mostly not connected to each other it's i mean other diasporas in sweden are much more connected and work much more together than we do Um, and i think that goes back to our wish and struggle to become a part of this society Um, so we have a little bit uh, there is a bigger distance between us than other diaspora groups And, and that's not that's not me talking it's actually the opinion of uh, most of the Iranians that you speak to. You have a connection within maybe your family and you have close friends, but the, the diaspora is not connected in that way. Interesting. Especially not in Stockholm. M-
0: maybe it was the um, just the, the friends that I have there who were taking me to places, but I went to a couple of restaurants where it was all Iranians, and not, not Iranian restaurants, but kind of hangouts where I just kind of saw a lot of uh, yeah. Iranian people. But when you say the the desire or the push and pull of of wanting to integrate. Um, uh, I mean, back to you, your focus on being Iranian to a certain extent, your, your identity. I love the idea that you're, from what I understand, your your husband was Swedish but learned Farsi and that you've taught your kids Persian. Do you, Do your children identify with Persian heritage? I mean, they were obviously born in Sweden, right?
1: yes of course i mean their father is swedish so yeah it was it has been very important to me because my father my my parents did the same thing to me they said that i wasn't allowed to speak swedish at home and we didn't we we weren't so me and my sisters we never spoke swedish at home we spoke only farsi and i learned to write and read farsi when i was at the age of five and so for me i mean First of all, language is something that you always can use. It's very important. But at the same time, I mean, to really learn about your own identity, who you are, where you come from, your language is very much linked to that. And if you know yourself better, then you are much more open to learn to know others. And also, you are much more open to the world. And you get to learn the world in a better way, I think. So, you have to first know yourself, where you come from, why, maybe also find the answers to some of your parts of your personality or anything, and the language is very much linked to that. So me and my former husband really agreed on that. We need to learn the children Farsi, and he was actually very much Firm on that, uh, also. So he had to learn Farsi because we were going to speak Farsi at all. Oh, wow, what a guy. And uh, he speaks, uh, he, he's fluent in Farsi and uh, I mean, I'm so grateful for that because I I am very happy that my children are growing up knowing Farsi, and yes, they do identify themselves uh, as Iranian. But they, you know, it also depends on the mood. When 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 they think that I am being too much Iranian, they are saying that, oh, that's because you are Iranian. And when I, <laughs> so they use it against me. Well, also. What, what's <laughs> an example
0: of that when you're too much Iranian?
1: I think it's when I'm very very. I'm very strict on some (laughs) things. (laughs) School, for example,
0: (laughs) study. If you'll excuse the superficial nature of the question, is your ex uh, is he blonde? Is he like a blonde-looking Swede guy? Because I love, I love the idea of this blonde Swedish guy speaking Persian, running around. You know, <laughs> people. He's just...
1: actually known in in our in our municipality because he and the children walks around uh, and they go shopping or go to the store. <laughs> Three blonde <laughs> people <laughs> speaking Farsi. I love it. You don't yeah. know how many times we have ha- people are like staring at us. And <laughs> also, there, there there has been some occasions when I have when I have been with them. So people are coming to us and saying, like, "Oh, this explains everything. <laughs> now you are Iranian. You are the mother of the children," <laughs> yeah. because they have been so confused.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I do. It's very I, funny. I love that. I love that image. And and so the kids are they're into it. I mean, I, I, listen. I remember being a uh, you know in England when I was going to uh, Persian school. Which uh, apparently was a disaster, given how bad I am at reading and writing Persian. But, but, uh, but I remember kind of uh, like sort of hating it. Like, oh, I got to go to Persian school again and learn. You know, Uh, were they enthusiastic? Have they always been enthusiastic about this?
1: Oh God, no! I mean, that is one of our. I mean not not anymore but before it was one of our biggest biggest struggles at home I mean uh, because I wouldn't answer back if they spoke in Swedish with me or with uh, with uh, my with their father if they spoke Swedish we didn't answer back so we wait for them to say it in see? so when they want to they want to make us mad or they are being uh, very Irritated uh, in us. They they use Swedish words, they speak Swedish just to make us angry. And then the whole battle, struggle, (laughs) uh, conflict would be about them speaking Swedish and not about the issue (laughs) that we were having a conflict about. So, no, no, it's a big struggle actually. But I don't care. I mean, I hopefully. Hopefully, in twenty years, they will say thank you for learning us uh, Farsi. That's your
0: strict Iranian side, butting up against yes. your lax Swedish I'm, side.
1: I'm, uh, yes, no, no. That's I, I am very firm on this matter. They they really need to learn to speak Farsi. They can't read and write very good because we have actually um, in, in Swedish school system every child who has another mother tongue than Swedish they can have education in that language provided from school so they go they go to that those classes yeah. but yeah
0: let, let me segue into politics and and yes. Iran especially. First of all, I, we talked about the the interesting ways that you were seen in when you were in Toronto and when you travel now and as this representative of Iranians. Even though you're a Swedish politician, I I wonder how you balance that responsibility in Stockholm in Sweden. Clearly, there's an Iranian community there. Clearly, they they care. They're passionate about what's going on in Iran. Like I've seen the protests. I've seen people out in the streets and. Stockholm like they've been in the rest of the world. And clearly some of those Iranians would have expectations from you. Um, How do you uh, accede to their interests or how do you negotiate how you're going to represent?
1: It's such a good question because it's been so difficult these past months. It's been really difficult because at the same time, you really want to be able to meet with their expectations, the Iranian diaspora, the Iranians who really- f- hopes that we can do big changes. At the same time, my my first responsibility is towards- the Swedish society and the Swedish uh, the, the politics that I'm representing in Sweden. So, I've had the struggle that I had to be... to find the balance towards my party and my responsibility in the parliament uh, and my main work- and my interest and engagement in Iranian matters, uh, and I won't. I cannot say that I have found the balance, and I can't say that I'm actually. I mean, I would. I would say that it, these past few months has been the most difficult months in my life when it comes to work, because I'm not satisfied with any of any part of it. Mm. Uh, I'm feeling that I'm behind when it comes to my regular work and I'm behind when it comes to matters of Iran, because I don't have enough time to do both. So this, actually, these past months has been emotionally very, very difficult at the same time, also very, very difficult from a professional view. So my colleagues, maybe sometimes have been wondering, like, is this what you're going to do mm-hmm. now? <laughs> because the Iranian issue is not what you are working with, All you right. need to focus on this. And at the same time, the Iranian diaspora has been expecting us to do even more. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been very difficult to find that balance. I, and I won't say that I have.
0: Thank you for the the honesty of that answer. Let me um, unpack it step by step. First of all, what was your personal reaction when you saw the uprising emerging in iran not not just the killing of massa i mean i suspect what what your personal reaction to that would be but when you saw an uprising emerging in iran in the days and weeks after uh, what happened to massa
1: you know i remember i remember 2009 very clearly i remember the how we felt those first days how hopeful we were I remember all, every uprising after 2009, every time they have been... They have been so violent towards the people, the uprisings. I mean, the price the people have paid. So this time, I didn't believe that it would be this large. I, 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 di- I really didn't, because I thought that it would be even more violent very much earlier. And I was like, I was very... I didn't know what to wish and I didn't know what 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 I could expect. And even today, when people ask me, I actually had someone asked me this when I was in Toronto, like, what are your wishes? Do you want a revolution or something like that? And I was like, should I even have a wish when it comes to this? It's not my life being put in danger. Uh, I know that I want I to want free Iran. Mm. I want another Iran. I want the Iranian people to uh, live in democracy. Uh, I, want, I want them to live in a country where they respect human rights. But me having an idea about a revolution or having an idea about how people should achieve that, I think that's, that's, that's a, too much to ask because it's, I, I'm, I'm not in a position to have an idea about that how to do it. I only know what I wish for my people, for for the Iranian people, for my people. Uh, So, in the beginning, I was hopeful. At the same time, I was very scared. I was so worried about how will this end? How many people will lose their lives? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also saw very early, I I think we were many who saw very, very early that this is the first time there will be a real opportunity mm-hmm. to change mm-hmm. the Iranian policy from the West.
0: Yeah. So, so, I mean, right now there seems to be, let me put it this way to you, because of what you've just said about the revolution, you're feeling like you can't... Uh, um, you're not on the ground there. What can you? How can you prescribe uh, solutions? Uh, although I do think it's f- completely fair for you to say, "I wish there's a revolution," or, or "I wish that there's a different regime." I don't think that there's uh, there's anything preventing you from saying that. I think, um, and and certainly that seems to be the universal sentiment. It seems pretty much in the diaspora, except for those who are directly uh, connected to the regime. But let me put it this way: There seems to be three camps right now. There's there's people who believe. the last seven months. Unfortunately, the uprising seemingly has lost a little bit of steam. The revolution didn't happen. So we kind of have to wait and um, mourn the kids that were lost and and kind of see what happens next. Then there's people, you know, on the other side who are perhaps the most, uh, the more hopeful or more optimistic or more determined who believe the revolution is still happening um, full force. These things go through different phases. You can't expect a million people on streets every day and that this is, you know, we're on the path and that there's no, you know, no stop till Brooklyn. Let's keep going. You know, this is where we're, and then there's a, there's, there's kind of a middle camp that says, um, the goalposts have moved. Um, and in, in, in other words, if the revolution does not happen in terms of the mullahs actually being toppled, there's a camp that says we should be happy with the headway that has been made in the last seven months. Where would you be in in those three categories?
1: So first of all, I I do want a regime change. Just to be, just to be clear on that, I really want a regime change. What I'm saying is that when people ask, uh, do you think people should be out on the streets and do and and uh, complete the revolution? I'm saying that I can't answer that because th- I would say that would be me saying to people, go out and put your life in mm-hmm. danger. That that is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear on that. I don't think anything will go back to what it was before. I, I really think that we are on a path forward. I do believe that this is the beginning of the end, but we need also to use the opportunities that we have right now to make those changes happen, both outside Iran, but also inside Iran. But saying that, I don't know what that would be. They, they, the Iranian people need to find okay. their own way to do that. But from the outside Iran, what we can do is that now that the Iranian regime has lost its... Um, I mean, they, they don't have anything left. I mean, their the idea of Iran, how the Western world looks upon Iran, it's changed so dramatically mm. that we can use this opportunity. But we need to use it more strategically. And we are not u- doing that right now. Now it's more... I mean I wouldn't say feelings because that would be wrong but I I don't I don't feel like we are doing things uh, with the strategical steps we are not taking the right steps in the right time with the right people we need to do more things uh, Differently.
0: Well, one of the things you were saying a moment ago is you said, you know, you this is the first time you really thought this was an opportunity to affect change in terms of the Western policy towards Iran. If there's been something heartbreaking for me that comes a close second or, you know, obviously the most heartbreaking is Kion and Nika and, you know, the people we've lost, Khudanur. But the, but but if there's something that's heartbreaking, it's, it's the EU, you know, it's uh, the Biden administration. It's seeing... It's really coming to terms with, wow, I guess we really are alone. People are not, you know, the, the, these, these countries are not, no matter what they say, are not going to uh, actually be, be doing that much. There are a bunch of Iranian MPs in the Swedish parliament like you, uh, uh, and you say you guys have been addressing issues in Iran since, the, since Alban, at least. Are, are you satisfied with what you guys have done in the Swedish parliament with respect to supporting freedom in Iran?
1: Well, I just told you I'm not satisfied with anything these past months. But I mean, at the same time, you know what? I mean, I wouldn't s I, I, I think it's very important also to talk about the steps that, that has been taken these few months, these past months. Because for many reasons. You talked about EU. I mean, the biggest struggle EU has today is the matter of Ukraine and, and the security. Within the EU, uh, and and that is much more important for them to solve. Uh, and it's a matter that we can't. I mean, it's with us the whole time. It's it's affected the economy. Mm. It's infected everything. Mm. Everything. So it's not even strange if, like, the Iranian issue is not uh, the the most important right. issue for them to to work with or even to address. It becomes very important the t- when we, when we very clearly show how the what ha- what is happening in Ukraine is actually also linked to Iran. We need to work on that e- even more because the relationship between Russia and Iran is actually v- important to talk about when it comes to the conflict, the the war in Ukraine, and how Iran is actually engaged in the war in Ukraine.
0: Which is how? Sorry, I, I don't want to get off on tangent on that, but you mean by selling arms or uh, et cetera?
1: Exactly, yeah. and also there are some evidence that Iran, uh, there are some Iranian, um, I mean from the from the sappa on uh, on the ground of Crimea, the the island that uh, has been occupied, the Ukrainian island that has been occupied by Russia, Crimea so, so yeah, Crimea, yes uh, so so there are there are several ways and also i mean russia and iran uh, getting much more close during this time because both of them are being shut out from other from the other parts of the world so there, there are many many um many interesting um uh, facts to to actually highlight more when it comes to the iranian engagement in the war in ukraine uh that's one thing and also the past decade, the European countries have had a lot of um, difficulties within the countries within the EU to deal with. I mean, it's been the economical and financial situation, but also the immigration issue that has been taking all focus, actually, everything, all policies, all all discussions, uh, every election in any Mm. country has been about immigration. And we are also saying like the democracy in EU, in the European country, is going backwards. So there are a lot of struggles inside EU and European Union and the European countries that actually are very, very scary and very much uh, problematic. That takes a lot of focus and energy. Uh, So I think the foreign policies maybe are not the most or not the highest on the on the yeah. priority list yeah. and hasn't been for the last decades because you, the foreign policy becomes interested for countries when they need to show their power when they need to show uh, uh, yeah their power and if you are weak inside if you have internal struggles and issues and problems then you are not strong enough to also be engaged in foreign policies
0: okay so when you say we need to be more strategic as you did a few minutes ago and less feelings maybe less emotional in our response what is a way that you here you are you're the politician you're in you're in Europe and you're you're um, you've got the platform here what's a way in which we can be more strategic and less beholden to our feelings well
1: I mean when it comes to how we work we need to, we need to have we need to speak in one voice. I know that we are doing that when it comes to some parts. Mm. But in some parts, we are not. Uh, And we need to also speak in the language that matters for for those who we want to, uh, uh, who we want to affect that who we want to bring on side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, So when I talk about the war in Ukraine, that is one way when we want to talk about why the iranian matter why why iran the islamic regime is also a threat to the outside world we can talk about their involvement in the war in ukraine that's one thing but also when we talk about the values that we cherish when we talk about democracy human rights we also need to talk about how this um, islamic ideas that the the islamic uh, regime has how they want to take that to the outside world so that's one thing but when it comes to how to do all of these things practical i think we need to we need to know who to address when and what to say that would make them listen Mm. and not always take the big steps i mean if one of the things that I raised during the conference in Toronto, I said that m- many are asking, like, who are the leaders of Iran? If if there will be a change in Iran, mm-hmm. who will be the leading, who will represent Iran? One of, our answer should be, well, if you help us to set the political prisoners in Iran free, then you will have the leaders, the true leaders of Iran. We should be more talking about human rights than... Pointing out political changes because it's much more difficult for them to understand. Mm-hmm. It's much more difficult for them to to stand behind it. It's not difficult. It takes more time because they because when it comes to politics, you always has to evaluate. Okay, if I do this, what would the result be? How would this affect me? You. How would that affect me? I got you. But human rights, human rights is values that we all can um, stand behind. So talking about. Um, Let us join hands to set the political prisoners in Iran free. That would be actually a very that would be easier for them to accept. That would be easier for them to stand behind and maybe also push put up pressure on Iran.
0: The concern with the human rights piece is that uh, it costs nobody, anything, anybody, everybody, nothing. Uh, how do I say this? It's it's so easy to say meaningless things about human rights. We've seen every... I mean, you know, uh, Victor Orban can talk about human rights in Iran. I mean, does, anybody can talk about human rights in Iran. And they have. And they haven't really followed that up with with a lot. I mean, someone they figured out somewhere around September and October, oh, now we need to say... Women in Iran need our support. Human rights. So you don't kill kids. But they haven't done that much, um, and. I have to say, I mean, I, I'm actually curious that you 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 reference Toronto. In Toronto, you want a lot of plaudits. You you want a lot of uh, support and 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 love for pushing back on something Masih Ali Najad had said had suggested. You did it in a very elegant way. You weren't attacking her, but about something she had suggested about shaming Western governments who aren't doing enough on the Iran file. And your argument seemed to be that, listen, we're not going to change things or get what we want by just shaming these people. But but let me ask you to tease that out. I mean. Why not call out, say, uh, Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden if he and the, his government are not doing all that they profess they want to do about bringing uh, democracy to Iran?
1: You can do that, but it depends on who is doing that. I mean, we are doing that when we are in rallies, we are doing that when we are outside protesting. But when you want to become, if you want to be a leader, And you want to gain change and you want to be able to sit at the same table as these people that you are mentioning then you can't say that then you can't do it in that way because you you will build up a distance between yourself and that person no one wants to lose their face no one wants to feel like i'm going into a meeting and i already know what that people what that person feels about me you want to go to a meeting and feel like Okay, I want to listen to their arguments, and I want to know how does their their issue, mm. um, how is it in terms with my what, what I want to gain, mm. because you because people are like people are saying like the Western countries only think about themselves. Of course they are. Why shouldn't they? Every country should think about themselves. Every country should be more concerned about its own population, its own people. I, hope, I wish that the Jumri-Islami could care about their own people. Mm-hmm. The, the reason why the situation in Iran is as it is is because they don't care about their own mm-hmm. population. They only care about themselves mm-hmm. and they're, they being in power. So you have to talk with people in their own terms. This is important for you because this will affect you in this way, in this way, in this way. But
0: if cozying up or being... Um, genteel uh, doesn't get you anywhere. I mean, when, when there was that call for that campaign to get people to walk out of the, the, the moment where uh, the, the Iranian foreign minister was going to speak in the, um, at the United Nations uh, seminar that happened in Europe. And, there, you know, I, I didn't see people shaming uh, European ambassadors. I saw, I saw a genuine, I saw pleading, I saw, please understand that we want you. And it, it didn't get get us anywhere, did it? I mean, it didn't. I mean, nobody left the meeting in terms of anybody of, of import.
1: But at the same time, I mean, come on, we have had the same Iranian policy for I don't know how many years. I mean, you can't change you can't change that mm. in such in such a short time. You have to do it step by step. You have to take it. You have to understand that they have been so focused and concentrated on the nuclear deal that they haven't even thought about these issues because the only thing that has been important for them is the matter of nuclear deal and what would happen if Iran gains a nuclear weapon. And now they have to start thinking about human rights in Iran for the Iranian people. Okay,
0: if we think this is an inflection point, if this is the moment that the regime, I mean, this was the argument over the last six months, this is the moment, then, I mean, you're familiar with the thing, that, that mantra that they say, uh, we don't need you to support us, just stop supporting the regime, stop enabling the, the regime. That's the argument, right? It's like, this is, our, this is our chance, this is our chance. Stop playing ball with them.
1: But they want to know what happens when they stop doing that. They want to know how will this affect us mm. what will happen in syria what will happen in yemen what will happen in afghanistan what will what how, what will happen if we stop doing this will we have a lo- huge amount of immigrants to europe we already have that problem we have had that problem for this past 15 years mm. look what it has done with our countries i'm not saying that immigration is wrong but i'm just saying how the narrative is the narrative is that we have immigration problems in right, europe right. so we have the uprising on right-winged parties just because of that. So they want to have answers to their questions. What happens if I do this? What happens if I put um, SEPA on the terrorist list? How will that be used against us? What, what, what will happen with the war in Syria? What will happen in Palestine? And how would that affect us? So they are thinking about the consequences for themselves because they already have so many issues to deal with. Before maybe the US had another foreign policy, another idea on foreign policy. They were involved in many things. They don't have that, they don't even have the support of their own people to have that role anymore. Okay, so
0: let let me ask you a specific question. You just mentioned it, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking this literally to get you to help us understand what what's going on
1: oh my, okay <laughs> i know I, it's, it's
0: not an attack it's more of a it's like so So you, you talked about sepa being on the terrorist list putting the irgc on the terrorist list is a big issue for many iranians around the world and something that many activists and prominent iranians have been calling for tirelessly uh, including all those opposition leaders in the coalition we've been talking about uh, the swedish foreign minister tobias bilström said in January yes. that the IRGC cannot be named a terrorist organization, cannot be named. He said to place the IRGC on the terrorist list would require, uh, quote-unquote, strong evidence and documents. And a lot of people would say, well, really, don't those already exist? And he said, I don't think such a move would be rational. So explain, had, I'm not going to even ask you whether you yeah. agree with him or not. Just explain to us how. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, so what, why, why, why can he say that? I mean, what, where is that coming from?
1: I mean, it's coming from. Um, first of all, it comes from, actually from what he is saying. He they really say that they haven't been engaged in any terrorist actions outside Iran and stuff like that. It's not true, of course. I had a big argument with him in the in the parliament about this, and I gave him all the uh, legal uh, possibilities mm-hmm. to actually for the EU to put the the, the Sapa on the list. I went through all the legal possibilities with him uh but the main reason actually the main reason is that the the Islamic Republic have been so clever and uh, the sepah is i mean this is not me talking some political science people I had I've had this explained to me and I've asked around and so the sepah is actually they can be seen as a part of the military Iran's military so it it's uh it's the. It could be seen as a national, uh, army, force. Sure. Army, yes. exactly. And you can't put another country's national force on a terrorist list. You can't do that. There are no international legal rights to mm-hmm. do that. The,
0: the U.S. did.
1: I know, mm. but they are saying that there are le- legal difficulties. Right. Doing that because of this issue, mm. because they are they are saying that when you when you look at the Sepa and how the Sepa works and how the Sepa is uh, organized, it's a national army, and we can't put a national army on the list. So that is actually one of the reasons. Mm. Um, but I, th- I I and I'm saying that we need to find legal people really good at uh, international law mm. who needs to look on this and actually find the arguments against that. And this is what I'm saying that we are not using the opportunities because we are not facing them uh, in their own uh, we, we are not facing them with the with the troubles that they have. We are just saying oh no, right. put them on the list. Right, it's like right. come on, let us answer these questions. Right, right, right. Let us find people who can actually answer these questions. Right, right.
0: Although I thought um, I I don't remember I'm I i do not remember if I have this correctly, but I thought uh, as good as your point was to Massey, that I thought her response was a good one too, or an interesting one, where she said, yeah. "Look." Some of us, it's our responsibility to be activists and some exactly. of us are need to be diplomats. You be the diplomat, I'll be the activist. To and I think that is a good cocktail, right? That's a good kind of way to see it.
1: I completely agree on that. Yeah, I completely agree on that. At the same time, then we need to find out that if the activists want to also meet with the leaders, then you need to find a way to, to talk with them. Right. That
0: gets more complicated. So
1: you have to find you have to find that balance.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I I got you. Um, it is so energizing talking to you, and and you're 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 so impressive. I mean, you're only in your 30s, but you've been in the Swedish Parliament for almost a decade. You're making a name for yourself around the world. Uh, where where do you want to take this? I mean, would you like to be the Prime Minister of Sweden?
1: Oh my God, no! <laughs> <Come on. laughs> why no, Why no, not? No and no, no not at all actually because I won't be in the politics for, for ever forever. I mean forever I want to do other stuff too. I want to I want to do other other things, be able to maybe make changes in other ways. I don't know what, maybe do something else completely else. I don't know what that would be. I need to go back to the university, maybe, to find out. I, I, I think <laughs> that, yeah, I new- think
0: you may be the first successful politician I've ever met in my life who doesn't who doesn't like the idea of continuing to be a successful successful politician. But,
1: but I mean, come on. I mean, there are other people who are really really much better than me in 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 this in in being a prime minister so please let them be i i would support them i wouldn't be a good prime minister uh, no i don't want to do this forever i want to do other stuff too i don't know what i haven't found out but i found out <laughs> let's see
0: um also that it is such a um it's it's so good getting to talk to you thanks for doing this if there's a there's a bunch of people who listen to our program and watch our program inside iran um and i thought before i let you go um if you if we give the 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 microphone over to you for a moment what would you want to say to them
1: i would say i've never been so proud of being an iranian as i've been these past few months and being also an Iranian woman i mean the the courage i mean it's it's something never seen before they really taught us about how to be courageous and how to be fighting for something that you really believe in and doing it with your life in 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 danger but doing it because you really believe that you want another future, you wanna, you want, you want to see changes. So I've never been so proud of being an Iranian as I've been these past few months, and I really believe that we will see changes in Iran, and it will all be thanks to courageous Iranian women.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for the work Thank you do. You. And I hope we can do it again in, in the Rook Studio next time
1: thank you i hope so <laughs> thank you for doing this John. thank Merci. you Chodafis. Merci,
0: Merci, that's azadir rojan in stockholm sweden i really enjoyed that conversation this is full time for rook for today remember for all things rook related Rookmedia.com, media.com r-o-q-e media.com is where you can find us thanks to the amazing team who put this show together Talented Anahita, Super Patty Saw, Super P, Smart Pega, Savvy Roham, Aimer Tad, and Sound Person Louise. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can Find me on Instagram at Giango Maschi. You can find us all on Instagram at Rook Media. And as ever, as you know, Mizunbashi.